Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community as well as the global community and a place where we get to delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today I'm delighted to tell you all that our guest is the fantastic Carla Dingle. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. Now, this was a really great chat, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. I will just say that when we were recording, there was a couple of tiny little gremlins in the internet world somewhere, which means that there was just a couple of things that Carla said that broke up a little bit, but it really doesn't detract from the interview, these tiny, minuscule little moments. Uh, so just uh, know that if that happens, uh, it wasn't a terrible editing job by me. It was just, uh, there was a couple of times where she just dropped out ever so slightly in a couple of things. But as I said, it really doesn't take away from the fantastic chat that we had. So yeah, get ready because it's time to go off script and find out Carla's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome this week's guest. It's Carla Dingle. Hello. 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 Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been super excited to get to talk to you for a, a long time. You've someone that's been on my list of people I wanted to get on the show. So I'm really pleased that you're here. Well, thanks. Thanks. And I got to meet you in person. So that's even more exciting. I'm glad we didn't do it until after we knew each other in person. So. Yeah. And now, when you were here fairly recently, I did get to meet you, but I was actually kind of annoyed that my life was so busy at the time that I didn't get to spend enough time with you. But I did. I did get to spend a bit of time with you and I got to see you perform as well. So that was all very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, I feel like there's never enough time, right? I feel like I could spend six weeks in England and it still wouldn't be enough time uh, because it was so incredible. And and this is the quality of talent uh, and, and the quality of people I got to meet. So it was very exciting. So... We're here to talk about all things improv, and I am really excited just to hear how you got into improv. Oh, well, it's it's a long story, but I'll try to make it brief. I, I was a theater kid when I, I started theater when I was like five years old. Uh, my mother will tell you I've been overdramatic my entire life, and I needed an outlet for that so that she could keep her sanity. Um, so I, I started at a community theater in uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I grew up in the south of the United States, uh, called Doraville Children's Theater. Uh, and it was my home for, oh, I don't know, many, many years. And and I learned all the craft. That's what I will say. Uh, I don't remember the word improv ever being used, but I do remember now, like, clearly that we were playing some Spolin games uh, and things like that. But it was uh, dancing and musical theater and acting and all of those good things. And so I, I spent my childhood till I was about 14 at that theater. Uh, and then my parents relocated us to the north part of the U.S., uh, in Connecticut, which is just outside of New York City, which was like, oh, I'm going to get to be famous and I'm going to pee on Broadway and I'm going to do all these things. And I did none of them. Uh, but I did find uh, a community theater there during the summer called Trumbull Youth Association and continue with musical theater. And then went on to university uh, with the intention of, of being an actor. Um and when I got there, people were way talented, way more talented than I out a bit. And I have my degree in script writing instead of acting, but I did stay in like the theater realm. And then I met a man and got married and didn't do anything for a very long time. And then when I was turning 40, I was on a cruise ship and Second City Touring Company did an improv show. And like just something changed like in my whole body and in my whole brain at that moment. And I was like, if they have this where I am, this is what I need to be doing. Because um, I couldn't really do scripted work because I was working retail uh, and it just doesn't work with a retail schedule. Um, and I came home and there was a class starting like two weeks later. 
Um, and that was 14 years ago. So, Wow. So then that class that you went to take, what was that class? It was like a like a level one, I guess, improv class. Uh, it was taught um, in a, a small room behind a bar. Uh, and I went into class and I have famously told this story many a times where I when we had break, I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. And so I hid in the bathroom um, until break was over, uh, thinking I could sneak out. But I was caught and <laughs> not drugged back into class, but they held my hand and took me back into class. And I'm super thankful for that. So, uh, but yeah, it was just sort of basics. The theater I started at really focused on short form games. So a lot of those whose line is it anyway kind of games and influences. So that's really what I learned. Uh, when I started, it was just sort of the, just that fast pace, you know, play into the setup, um, you know, work for the laugh. And so it was a very different kind of improv than I think I've sort of settled on and really enjoy. Now, I, I do love short form. It, it, it's, it's like going home when I go back to it. But there's something about um, long form that's just so compelling to me. And I think perhaps it goes back to that script writing degree. Um, because I think I always tell people that, you know, we're not only just the actor, but we're the writer when we're doing improv and, and we're creating backstories and, uh, you know, foreshadowing and we're doing, you know, character development on the spot and all of that. So I think that's what really, um, I really connect with in long form and I shied away from long form for a long time. I, uh, even once I got on a team that was doing it, I was like, oh, is this what we're doing? Okay. Um, do some short form. Um, and and it's really funny because most of the shows that I do with that team, there's like some short form and some long form still, which is nice. It's like the best of both worlds. So The thing about short form and long form is that when it comes to describing short form to people that aren't aware of uh, improv necessarily what it is, you can always just say, oh, it's like whose lines it anyway. But, and most people know know that reference at this point, regardless of what country they're in. So it's great. Yeah, but there isn't that for long form. You you can't just say, oh, it's just like such and such. So long form hasn't quite had the same exposure that short form's had. Yeah, and I think because of the uh, variety of types of long forms out there, right? You can't just lump it into something and be like, it's like this, right? So if you're doing narrative, it's unscripted theater, basically, right? You're creating a play or a whatever right there on stage without a script. If it's like a montage or an Armando, you know, that's inspired by this makes me think of this and this makes me think of this. Um, so yeah, it's hard to be like, it's just, yeah, it's just this one thing because it's not just one thing. I mean, short form is not not either, but it's a little easier to describe because of of whose line is it anyway. Uh, but yeah, I think the variety of long form is also, I think, very appealing as well. You know, I've recently, through the pandemic, really got exposed to narrative uh, improv. That wasn't a huge thing here where I am. And I think just in the U.S., it's not quite a big a deal as it is over in Europe. And so by taking classes online, I really got exposed uh, to narrative and just was drawn in. And I know it's that script writer in my brain, um, but also drawn in, I think, from an audience perspective. So my partner, my husband, um, he will very vocally say, uh, what kind of improv are you doing tonight? And I'll say, uh, long from, he's like, nope, not going. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't get it. Like he doesn't, like, yes, he's entertained, but he doesn't have the ability to follow what's happening. And that's very very challenging for him as an audience member. And I think he's not alone in that. Uh, but when we do a narrative, he can completely understand what's happening and he can follow through and there's a story and a through line and it's like watching television or watching a play. And so he can really sort of enjoy that. So it's something that we've been doing uh, quite a bit here with the groups that I work with. Like we're doing an improvised murder mystery and an improvised reality TV show. Uh, so just some fun things like that. And just trying to challenge folks to do something a little bit different than they've been doing. Uh, you know, we've all done the Armando and uh, a Laurent and a Herald and all those things, but this being a little different. So awesome. Now you mentioned that it took you a little while before you decided to try long form. How long did it take you before you started actually like running sessions? 
Oh, so um, running sessions. Wow. So it's been a lot, long time. Let's see. So I started, I guess I'm doing math in my head and I have a theater brain, so it's not always good. Uh, about seven years ago, I think I started running a couple drop-in rehearsals for the theater that I was at. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. But I come from a retail background. And at, in the uh, retail world, like I was a, a trainer and I opened up new stores. And so I also created training programs for like all store meetings. So like, I feel like I've always had this instructor brain, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I think at one point I thought about being a teacher. Uh, and then I was like, no, I don't think I can do that. I think it's the people who teach are teach full time and take care of the youth and and mold them and make them uh, their next generation of awesomeness uh, are are much better people than me. That's what I was gonna <laughs> say uh, because uh, maybe if I was just a theater teacher, I could handle it. But I don't know. I I was not a good student and. Um, so I feel like I don't know if I would be a good academic teacher. That's what I'll say. So, yeah, so I started leading those sessions uh, and that was really great. And I was really enjoying myself. And then I worked for a company called American Girl Doll Store, which is like really expensive. Uh, 19 inch dolls that are represented the different historical times in U.S. history. It's terrible. Uh, but my position there was eliminated um about six years ago March 1st so it's really coming up and I was like I don't want to go back into retail they gave me a job coach to try to help me figure out like what I could do with my life and nobody wanted to compensate me for what I was worth because they don't people don't value retail experience so a friend of mine um was teaching at a local acting studio here and she's like well come substitute teach and see what you think so I started substitute teaching it for acting and improv uh and then like three months later I got a, a whole night where I taught uh acting to begin with uh and then about three months later we started creating an adult improv program and I started teaching that um and then about I don't know. A year and a half later, my friend left and she was the improv director for the studio. And so I took on that role. And so I've been teaching and being the acting uh, improv director uh, for about four and a half years now. Um, and so I think sort of just fell in my lap in a way. And I enjoyed creating the curriculum. But I think what I enjoyed more than anything was just watching not only the growth, obviously the growth of someone is so exciting to watch, but just watching, um, for lack of a better word, them catching that improv bug or that acting bug and just sort of seeing how it filled people up with joy that they couldn't imagine. Um, and I had that when I was growing up. So I had this incredible human named Jim Ray James, uh, who was from Dorville Children's Theater, who sort of instilled that joy in me. And there was something sort of full circle uh, about being able to do that for others now. So I teach, I have an improv team of nine to 12 year olds, and then I have three teenage teams and two adult teams that I, I work with every week. And they go from August, the kids and teens go from August to May every year, and then the adults are ongoing. So some of them have been with me the whole time, uh, which has been amazing, so. That is really cool. It reminds me when I used to be a music teacher. So I was, um, before I became a full classroom teacher that I am now, I was a music teacher for nine years and I would teach curricular music. So I would go in and teach a full class of around about 30 to 35 children. And I would teach them from year one all the way up to year six. So I'd have them for six years. Some of them I had for like a full six year cycle. And I, I got to be with them teaching them music for six years and it's a very different experience to what I have as a class teacher now because I get children for the one school year and then wave goodbye off they go I did get one class twice once um, which was a nice treat because they were a great class but um, it, it was very different from spending sort of six years with these children to just the one year yeah, you 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 evolve and grow with them, and you watch them change in such ways. During the pandemic, 
Um, my studio took 12 weeks off because that's what we closed down for. And then in the U.S. And then we were back like June 1st, 2020, teaching in the classroom, which was insane. Wow. <laughs> but we were masked up. We had these little things on the floor that were six feet apart. And, and everyone was doing improv from six feet apart. And they were like, you're the only person I see or the only people I see every day um, or every week. I don't see anyone but my parents or anyone but my family. And like they were just craving that socialization. And at first I thought, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was and then I just I just saw how important it was um, and how much it was something that they needed. And especially during the pandemic, just having that creative outlet Um I was still teaching some kids online as well, but we did have those kids in person uh, and it was just really interesting to see, but there is definitely something about what you're saying. Like when you have them for a bit and then they move on, you don't get to invest. I mean, you obviously you're completely invested in them why they're there, but knowing that they're coming back again, right. There's a different sort of investment, I think from them as well as from you, right. You become this, this uh, entity in their life that I do hope they'll remember when they're older, like I remember my theater teacher. Um, But I also know what it's done for some of them to just really find a sense of themselves, uh, whether it's exploring gender or sexuality or, uh, you know, just finding a place to fit in because that's so hard these days. And I just am all, one of the things that's important to me is having a space where people feel safe. And uh, and that's one of those things that I had growing up. And so I want to make sure I give that back. And I think as teachers, it's an obligation for us, regardless of what we're teaching, whether it's in an academic classroom or whether it's a musical thing or a theater thing, uh, that space should be a space that feels safe and welcoming and where creativity and learning can happen. And I know for a lot of people, that's not always the case, but for me, it's something that's a priority. It's great to hear you talking about teaching the way that you are, especially because you said earlier that as a student, you weren't that great as a student. So you thought you would make a good teacher, but I always think that it's often people that weren't the best student that make the best teacher. And I, I'll tell you why. It's because when I was in school, I was severely visually impaired. I was born with like a rare version of cataracts and struggled quite a lot as a child. And I feel as a teacher that prepares me more for when there are children that have various difficulties because I understand it. Whereas someone that grew up and didn't have a difficulty, they can't necessarily understand where the child's coming from. And if you're someone that didn't enjoy school or just weren't a great student, you'll understand what it is that other students might be feeling and you can connect with them on a level because you get it. Yeah, that's a really great point. Uh, And I too have visual issues. I have no sight in my left eye. I was born that way. So growing up, I wore a patch and had to sit super close to the board. Uh, So I I understand sort of those accommodations, right? And uh, But I also understand from the flip side, like, when I was growing up, which was a long time ago, <laughs> if you had to be accommodated, you were different. And that was a big deal. Uh, I think that the youth of today is so much more accepting and accommodations and uh, different ways of learning and learning styles are, are just so fluid now, whereas it was so like, this is outside of the norm when I was growing up. And so I think that might have led to some of my being silly and acting out in class, trying to make people laugh, not making the education the priority. Um, I guess I've always been under the, the thought if I can laugh at myself first, then no one can make me feel worse about myself. Right. So that's my, my motto, I guess, growing up, make fun of yourself first before the others do. So wow. I do have a lot of self-deprecating humor in my improv. <laughs> 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 my my first sort of, of being aware of you came during the pandemic when improv all went online and all of a sudden my eyes were open to all of these things that I couldn't possibly have imagined. And it was it was incredible. But at the time, I was very much focused on short form and I was doing just short form, short form, short form. And uh, my now fiance, Seki, was delving into all sorts of other things and she took some classes with you and that was looking at more the narrative side of things improv for actors and 
Mm-hmm. She she would come from those sessions and she would just be like glowing and just really coming away from it, saying she's learned so much. She's had a really great session. So I actually would then start dipping in to see what was going on and i would just be in the class i would just be in the back of the room just saying whoa what what's she going on about what makes it so great because at the time i I was still only really just scratching the surface of of long form myself Mm -hmm. on any kind of long form format outside of that short form and i I just sort of sat there in awe really of of all of the things that that i was seeing happening not just before my eyes but through the internet in, in this crazy pandemic world that we were in at the time. Um, So what was it like for you to make that transition into online from in person? Well, first of all, let me just say, Seki's always glowing uh, and was the easiest, one of the easiest (laughs) students I've ever taught uh, because Seki is so gifted. Uh, Oh, what was it like? So with the studio that I teach at, um, like a week after we went into lockdown was like, next week we're teaching online. What was it? And I was like, um, what? 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 Well, well, okay, how do I do this? I don't even know how to, what is Zoom? I I have no idea. Uh, And so I sort of um, panicked and I just started searching the internet, like online improv classes so I could see what somebody was doing. And there was a class of the, uh, some that were teaching out of the Magnet Theater out of New York. And I tell you what, I got onto this class, signed up, I got onto the class. I couldn't make anything work technology-wise. <laughs> I was like 10, 15 minutes into the class. I still couldn't make anything work. Like my iPad wouldn't turn my camera on. I didn't have a good laptop at the time. It was just a nightmare. Uh, and so I just told her I was going to watch for a minute. And so I turned my camera off and I sat there for like 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, no, I'm out of here. And I just left this trend of mine in improv classes. Look at that. <laughs> uh, and I was like, there, there, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. So I started teaching online um, within like, like I said, like a week or so after the pandemic started. And they were, of course, the folks that knew me and were very patient with me as we're sort of all learning this together. Uh, and after about like two or three weeks, I'm like, okay, I can do this, but I need more resources. So I went a little, a little over the top, I will say, my bank account will say, uh, in 2020, because I think I took 60 classes in 2020 from instructors wow. all over the world. Because I kept thinking like, this is going to end. <laughs> and I have access to all these incredible instructors that I'm not going to have access to when this pandemic is over. Um, is the pandemic over? I don't know. Uh, anyway, so I just sort of went in like I full steam ahead. And I, I think one of the first classes I took was from Neil Curran out of Dublin. Uh, and then I took uh, something at the Pack Theater and the Groundlings and Rise Comedy and Second City. And then I... I um, sort of got involved with Katie Shute and Chris Mead through their online community that they had created and just started meeting more and more people and taking more and more classes. And it just was, I mean, I hate to say it was a gift because the pandemic was terrible for so much of the world, but I also think it was a gift to improv because we were so insular in our little communities and we thought, well, if we want to learn improv, we need to go to London, Chicago, LA, uh, New York, like those are the places where improv is taught by the masters. And instead, we're learning that the masters live everywhere. Um, there's incredible improv everywhere. I think what opened my eyes the most was the passion that folks um, from the East have. So the communities in India, the communities in the Philippines, communities in Singapore, just not only just They'd be up at four o'clock in the morning taking classes uh, like every night beyond that. Just the quality of the talent, uh, the passion, uh, the thirst for knowledge. Uh, it was just one of those things that um, I just, my American ways and my Western ways was like, oh, there's not, it's improv's only over here. No, improv's everywhere. And it's incredible. Um so I think for me, it just was such an eye opener. And then the connections that I've been able to make, I, I couldn't have imagined. Like we talked earlier about the trip over to the UK uh, and Ireland. And I was gone for like 18 days and 
my mother and, fa and father were like, you're going to travel by yourself for 18 days? <laughs> what? Uh, you should make your husband go with you. I was like, that would be literally his worst nightmare to spend 18 days around improv. Uh, so, but I wasn't alone. I mean, you you know, my train got all messed up and you and Seki and Steve made sure I got back to my hotel and I wasn't feeling good. And David brought me like, cold medicine and I stayed in someone's house and we were texting each other as we're walking home through Dublin to make sure folks got back to hotels on their own so I never felt alone because for me improv's always been about community and the people and the connections and so that's that's what online improv has done for me and hopefully it's done that for a lot of other people as well. Oh it definitely has like for me in particular I, I talk about this a lot on this show but the pandemic it was a terrible thing and lots of people were really negatively affected by it but it changed my life in such a positive way because if it wasn't for it i wouldn't have met seki because we were attending liverpool comedy improv sessions together and then the sparks were just there from the start and i met my improv troupe through it the oikas you know we oh formed... yes all those great folks mark and all those great folks yeah. yeah, all the oikers and they're awesome and they're still a big part of my life now. And it was the fact that all of a sudden, yeah, the the whole world was my oyster. And, you know, Emma started to get guest teachers in to Liverpool Comedy Improv. And number one, that was just amazing. But then number two, I realized, oh, hold on. These people have actually just been coming to sessions. And that's that's when I really started to love the fact that, oh, yeah, there's loads of great facilitators around the world. And one of the things that makes them great is they just go and take session, sessions with other people and they're constantly learning, um, which helped to teach me a lot as well um, about being an improv facilitator. And I just would then go and start finding other classes or Seki would recommend, oh, so-and-so who's who's out in this part of the world is doing this. And for me, I think there was a, there was a, period of time where I was doing at least five sessions a week during the pandemic. I was there too. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you mentioned that some of these guest instructors were talking about other teachers that they took classes from, because that's one of those things I think is so important, I think, for our improv teachers, or for just teachers in general, is you have to keep educating yourself in order to stay on top of, of, of you know, what's new in the world? What are the uh, what's I don't I don't want to say trends that's not a good world but like what's the new you know thing that people are focusing on in improv or what's something new that you might learn form wise or a skill set that you might learn um, like the way I teach is a little different than like traditional improv so I really focus on um, kind of the intersection between acting and improv so like these traditional acting tools that I grew up using I think are so beneficial to improvisers and then on the flip side the the scripted uh, actors that you know improv giving them that ability to be flexible and pivot so I, I really love to combine the two and oftentimes in my classes you'll see folks that are like oh I don't improvise I'm just an actor or uh, people in my acting class are like I don't uh, but you do, right? We're all actors and and, and improvisers, whether or not it, it's a script or not a script. But that's one of those things that I'm really passionate about is continuing to educate myself because uh, I learn something new from every scene partner. I learn something new from every instructor, uh, even if I don't connect with that instructor. And I'm like, this is a totally different kind of improv than I love. Like there's things I can take away, tools that I can use. Um, or sometimes it's just the learning of, oh, yeah, that's not for me. And that's OK as well, because there's such a variety in the improv world. I'm glad that you've said about not connecting with certain um, facilitators because I myself have had some situations where I've gone and I've, I've taken classes with these really highly lauded sort of improvisers and everyone raves about them. And I've come away thinking I didn't really connect, like maybe my style just wasn't what they were trying to get. And yeah, they're lovely people and I've interacted with them positively on social media and things. But for some reason, their class just wasn't for me. So I think that is an important thing for people to know as well, that not every teacher is for every student. No, and I think I think it's important, too, for improvisers and actors to take 
classes from a variety of instructors because again you'll take something away from everyone uh, but you, there's we just like we can look back in our school years right uh, we had all these different teachers but there's probably one or two that stick out that you still remember because you connected with them and they inspired you in a way were the other teachers not good no but maybe you just didn't quite connect with them and i think because improv is such a connective world when you don't feel that connection it can be almost defeating in a way um but at the same time you have to sort of sit back and ask yourself why and that was one of the things i did and despite the fact that i love to mush improv and acting together the teachers i struggled with the most were those classically trained acting instructors that are now improv instructors and i was like what is happening <laughs> this should be your thing right uh, but I think I had a little, little PTSD to some of my days at university where we did like the same exercises over and over and over again. And so I think uh, some of them used a couple of them as sort of like warm up exercises. And I think I just sort of checked out uh, at that point. So maybe it was just on me uh, and not on them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, everyone's not for everyone. And that's what I always say as a teacher. Uh, if you take a workshop or a class with me, I hope you take something away. And if you don't take another class with me, that's fantastic too. And if you do, absolutely love to have you. But not every everyone's for everyone. It's and that's okay. Yeah. And when it comes to planning a class, whether it's a one-off or whether it's a series of of sessions, what inspires you? in terms of what you want to teach so where do you get your ideas for what you want your course to be about that's a great question sometimes i just wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> and i'm like i should teach this uh no I, that's truthful it really is truthful but i also really i have been fortunate over probably like the last 18 months of having four group of like eight to ten students that come to almost everything that I teach and then I get some extra folks that come in as well and so I really started listening to those folks um like they'll say oh you should teach a class on that or you should teach a class on that and I'm like okay uh and then I'll sort of say like do I just do a one-off does it need a couple weeks what does it need and so I'll start to sort of be like if this is what we're talking about how do I build this out like what would I want to teach and then I do a lot of like googling of things and sort of start building a curriculum around it um so that's definitely one of the things that i do um the other thing is uh through my other company that i work with queen city comedy i bring in instructors as well and so i've recently started in like the last year being like i don't want to ask you to teach this kind of class like i want you to come in and teach what you love, what you're excited about. Let us be your incubator space. Try something that you've always wanted to try. Um, and then I sort of started taking that advice. And I was like, what do you want to teach, Carla? Um, and so I think the only thing I've teach that I have repeatedly teach is the monologue class, which you mentioned earlier that or improv for actors, sort of the same class. Um, just because it's such a great tool for folks, um, unscripted monologues as well as scripted monologues. And so that's something I teach repeatedly, but otherwise I just sort of figure it out. I love connections and authenticity and intimacy and improv. I think an intimacy from a point of, we know each other, we'll share things with each other, not like we're in love with each other uh, or something like that. I mean, you can be, that's fine too. We've had those scenes, um, but those things that take walls down um, and just really let people really connect with each other in a scene. And so whether it's focusing on like emotions or status, which are pretty typical improv things, um, or if it's just sort of figuring out like the who, what, and the where, and the why, but from a sort of a different perspective. Um, yeah, so I just sort of, I don't know, get a little bee in my bonnet. And then I just like, let's teach class about it. <laughs> um, so, and sometimes it's like I said, very traditional things. Like I have a walk-on class coming on. So people are like, I am so struggling with walk-ons. I was like, it's because nobody walks off. They just walk on. <laughs> they stay in the scene forever uh, instead of coming in and giving some information and leaving. So, um, and then I sort of tried to take, like game and look at game very differently because I know game is one of those hard things for people like either you get game and you understand game and you can just go with it or you're like 
there's a game somewhere. Where? Where is the game? Uh, and sort of put, playing with that through like patterns and repetition as well as the relationship. So um, I don't know. I just sort of look at things from a different angle. I think I grew up with a son who's 22 now. And I think the first word out of his mouth other than dada was why. Hmm. Um, and he's asked me why his whole life. We're going to have oranges for dinner. Why? Because uh, <laughs> That's the fruit that's in the house. Why? Well, because I haven't gone to the grocery store. Why? Because I don't get paid for a couple <laughs> weeks. Why? Because we get paid twice a month. Why? Because that's the way it is. Apparently, <laughs> that's what I'll get to this. Uh, so I've just always sort of explored that why behind things. And so I like to think about why are people struggling with this topic? Or why do people want to know more about this topic? Or why is this the only way that we can play this? Um, and sort of explore it that way yeah it was great to hear that thought process because i'm just about to sort of launch my own sort of workshop which is away from everything else i've done the last couple of years everything's just been like a drop-in people can come whether it's in person or online it's generally mm -hmm. a short form drop-in and yes i'll put thought into the games and the order and what we're going to learn from it and in general i'm known for short form and i'm known for puns but then i thought long and hard about it and I was like, that's not actually what I want to teach. Yeah, I can do that naturally, but I don't necessarily know how to teach that to other people. But what I love is character. And that's what my course is going to be. It's going to be developing character and basically taking a character and just really drilling down into who that person is, why they are that person. And because I think improvisers naturally create a backstory for people without necessarily thinking about it because especially short form you're there oh yeah i'm this person whether you've endowed yourself or you've been endowed and you instantly make decisions because you feel you know this character without thinking about it and i really want to give people an opportunity to delve into to the why yeah yeah why are they this way why is their point of view this way what's happened yeah all those things are great speaking of characters is that a kermit the frog uh sweater that you're wearing there yes it is okay i just have this is probably not what you expected i'm like a muppet junkie um <laughs> i'm a muppet junkie uh like my dog is named beaker like seriously. oh incredible Yes. And like, uh, now that it's merged with Disney, like I've gone and visited stuff, but like I, the Muppets were my thing growing up. When you talk about characters, like those were the characters that I, I loved and I gravitated towards. And I often tell my folks when they're trying to do characters, because I feel like people are so scared they'll be so big that they don't go big enough in a character. And I'm like, no, no, do it like a Muppet. Come on, do it like a Muppet. Because you got to get bigger, right? Like animal. Oh. Right. Well, you got to get bigger because we are so afraid we're going to be so over the top. But it's so much easier to dial it back than to push people up and yeah. get them amplified. So that's my phrase. Do it like a Muppet. <laughs> I love the Muppets. And I think I, I think they weren't as big in the UK as they were in the US and other parts of the world. But they were still pretty big here. But yeah, I've just always loved the silliness of the Muppets and I love doing impressions and some of my favorite impressions to do are the Muppets. Yeah. And you talk about a character and a strong point of view and in a developed character, you know, those, those strong characters like Fozzie and Piggy and Kermit, I cannot believe we're talking about the Muppets, but <laughs> like their characters are so well defined, right? Like we, they never waver from who they are. Gonzo never waver. <laughs> He'll blow himself up like a thousand times and he'll still be optimistic that this time it's going to work. Right. So I think there's so much, it's horrible, so much learning from the Muppets for actors and improvisers as far as character study, um, because they're just so fleshed out and uh, they've been around so long doing the same thing. Uh, it's just, it's kind of aspirational. I know that's so weird, but. Yeah. yeah, it's funny that you say they've been around for such a long time doing the same thing, but they do it so well that they're still relevant. Yeah, yeah, because they evolve, right? The characters have to evolve. The, the like time evolves, right? And so they have to evolve. Like, you know, when I was growing up, Gonzo dating a chicken was way out there. <laughs> it's not out there anymore, right? It's totally cool and relevant and all of that. But yeah, so there's some magic there that I we went... should just hold on to. <laughs> 
when they brought it back a few years back, sort of, was it after Disney just sort of acquired them and they did the film with um, Jason Segel and that I, I was obsessed with that film. Still, I'm obsessed with that film. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the guy from Ted Lasso did a, a like one with them recently. That, uh, what's the, the one who plays Roy? Why can't I think of his name? I can't think of his And it was great, like, just to see, like, the opposite, right? These fuzzy, wonderful characters with this <laughs> kind, of, kind of, he's like a Muppet-like character. If you watch Ted Lasso, Roy is sort of like a Muppet-like character, just that gruff, strong point of view that never changes. So, Yeah, I love that show, by the way. Ted Lasso yes. as well. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a good one. I actually uh, was like, can I uh, can I go to a, a football game while I'm in the UK? But there wasn't time. And I think I was off season, but it's all good. But the, the character, Roy Kent, is based Kent. on um, an actual footballer called Roy yeah. Keane, who I grew up sort of. So Roy Keane was a player during my sort of childhood and stuff. And just to see it played in the way that it's played in the show, it's so good. It's played Muppet-like, right? It's played as a caricature of this real man, which I think is what can be so not only fun, but hopefully he finds flattering or maybe he does, or his people, I don't even know, uh, find flattering. So So one thing I want to ask about, because we've just mentioned there a couple of things which can really be embedded in culture, things like the Muppets are embedded in culture. How bigger challenge was it for you when you really started to go international with improv to sort of get over some of those hurdles of culture for example football to me will mean one thing to someone else in the world it means something else yeah it was quite interesting it happened really early on i i did um like in june of 2020 did some kids drop in classes and i think that's where it was like really Mm -hmm. amplified i had a young man from like the south of the u.s and a young man from london and they were doing a scene. And in the scene, the young man from the U.S. said he um, had biscuits for breakfast. And uh, the scene went on and they finished up the scene. And then afterwards, the young man from London was like, your mother gives you biscuits for breakfast. She's the coolest <laughs> thing in the whole wide world. Now, in the U.S., a biscuit is like a pile of bread uh, that's just like lumped in with butter and baked. And then in in the UK, um, obviously biscuits are like what we would call a cookie, a sweet, a treat. Uh, and so I had to like break that down and be like, okay. So, and then we, I pulled up pictures and we showed pictures of what they were. Uh, and so that was sort of like my first foray into like, hmm, even though we speak the same language, that is not all the same thing. Um, and then we started working with international teams and it was really fun to sort of see that grow even bigger. And um, one of the teams that I play on is with Queen City Comedy. It's called Close Distance. And we had players from all around the world. And through that, uh, my friend Sarah Davis and uh, one of our other teammates, Brandon, created a show called The British American Experience. Um, we do it monthly on Highwire. And it's a PowerPoint presentation that a British person does. And then the Americans improvise around it, sort of like an Armando. It's the same topic. And then the Americans do a PowerPoint and the British people (laughs) um, improvise around that. Uh, And so it's sort of fun. Like we're like, let's just make fun of each other and play with those cultural differences. And what this means in this world is so different than what it means there. Um, But I think one of the things that was really interesting was the first time I had two Filipinos in the same class with me uh, and we did breakout rooms and I went into just popping around into their breakout room and they were in their breakout room uh, and they were speaking in Filipino and they were doing their whole scene in Mm -hmm. Filipino. And I just stopped moving around, just sitting in there watching the scene. They can't see me. I mean, you know, I'm there. And I thought, wow, why are we asking people just to like improvise in English, right? I mean, obviously, that's not my language, but that's not their language. And so I just sort of began encouraging people like, you know, you can improvise in Filipino, or German, and I can still improvise in English, and we'll figure out what's going on. And we've done a little bit of that, but not as much as I would probably love to do. Uh, But when I was in Ireland, I ran into an incredible improviser named Orla McGovern. I don't know if you know her. She uh, runs a festival called Moth and Butterfly, and she's just an incredible storyteller. 
And she was telling me recently they did a show, and I can't remember where, where there were five improvisers live in person on stage improvising in their own languages, never doing a shared language. Obviously, the shared language is improv, and that was it. Uh, and I thought, wow. That would be so incredible to see. So it's one of those things I think I would love to do. And I've been thinking about doing it online, just getting folks who speak just different languages and doing improv scenes and seeing what happens with it. And I bet you we would understand more than we can do. That sounds great. I love doing scenes that have uh, no vocalization or just very minimal because Mm -hmm. that can really get some good stuff. So, yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see what it's like if people are speaking different languages. Yeah, I think I think language is such an incredible, incredible resource. And I know there's uh, a duo down in London um, that does English, English, a second language uh, shows and jams where it's, English is not your first language and you come in and you improvise. And I think there's some freedom in that because no one wants to feel like their accent is too strong or their English is not strong enough as they're improvising. Right. We have enough to worry about. Uh, to try to worry about those things not that we should be but we can't control what other people are feeling right so I think those spaces where people can just uh, be uh, who they are exactly who they are um, and we meet them at that place instead of necessarily just setting up a space that this is what we're doing come join us so awesome I just want to ask you, you mentioned about biscuits and cookies. So <laughs> what we would call a biscuit, there's like a whole whole world of biscuits. Yeah. Do you call all of your, what we would call biscuits, cookies? Yes, I would say so. Uh, we call them cookies, unless they're like a specific cookie, like a Madeleine uh, or a macaron. I guess it's not even a cookie or a macaroon. Um but yeah, otherwise it's just a cookie. And and our biscuit is probably as close to a scone. It's probably the close equivalent, but it's a little bit different than a scone. And it's usually more savory than sweet. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's made kind of that kind of size and shape and a little more fluffier layers and, and flaky is what they want. They want it to be flaky. Because <laughs> to us, a cookie is a very specific type of biscuit. So what is a cookie? I love we're having this conversation. What is a cookie? <laughs> what is a co- what cookies are not biscuits? What's a, specifically a cookie um, in the? I I don't know the ingredients and stuff, but it's a very specific type of biscuit. You would have like a chocolate chip cookie or an oatmeal and raisin cookie. Um, and you know what? Those are the yeah. That's probably because those are. I feel like those are the kind of cookies that um, are all over the world now, right? It's not so like specific regionally. So I think it's like probably branded too, right? Maybe that comes through some like Nestle and some of those other brands. And like there's staples in like a British diet and it's digestive biscuits, rich tea biscuits, custard creams, um, things like that. Do you have things like that over there? Um, We, I would say chocolate chip cookies are probably the biggest staples here. Um, but no, it's, I mean, a cookie, like, I think the difference is for, from what I understand and what I experienced that oftentimes the biscuits go with tea and tea is like a, 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 you know, a special time for folks during the day and folks in America do not take that kind of time for themselves. So they just are on the go, on the go. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, chocolate chip cookies are like everybody likes those. And, but there, we also don't, have the array of, 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 of biscuits and cookies that you all do much more selection in your world we have like uh chips ahoy <laughs> that's one of our brands and um, pepperidge, pepperidge farm like cookies that so we have those and i don't know i should i should be a better cookie connoisseur than i am um <laughs> uh, but i'm more of a cake person i enjoy a cake so oh yeah i'm, I'm a big well, I'm just a sweet tooth. I love biscuits, cakes. I love it all. Um, I, and I'm Welsh. And in Wales, we have some very specific things to us as well. So I don't know if you ever heard of Badabreath or Welsh cakes, but they are delightful. Welsh cakes I've heard of. But uh, is, is the first word you said that I'm not going to try to say, is that the Welsh name for it? Or is that something different? Um, so Badabreath is basically a type of Welsh fruit loaf, kind of kind of oh. like kind of like a 
a, a cake fruit loaf thing. Um, but it's very nice. You can toast it. You can have it untoasted. It's it's, it's very good. And a Welsh mm. cake is, I would say, sort of similar to a scone. It's it's very flat and pressed. I feel um, like I saw them bake it on the Great British American Baking Show. I feel like I saw them make them. Okay, yeah. That's my knowledge of a Welsh cake. Um, <laughs> well, I love that we've just drifted into food. Um, <laughs> That's where I always end up. It's all good. <laughs> I just want to talk to you a bit about um, Queen City Comedy because, you know, that's where I first became aware of you, all the things online, and uh, I've looked. You've got loads of amazing sort of guest teachers coming up. So just tell us, how did you get into Queen City Comedy? And just tell us all about it. Sure. So we're only uh, six years old, which is just so hard to believe because I feel like the pandemic's been like a hundred years. Uh, but we, um, Queen City Comedy was started by Kale Evans, uh, who is still our one of our co-founders and is still very active in what we're doing. And our other co-founder, Elizabeth Byland, who I mentioned, also hooked me up at my studio. Um, and they sort of had this idea because we sort of have very separate theaters here in Charlotte and no one was working together. And I know it's like some West Side story over here, mm -hmm. like the Jets and the Sharks of improv. And they were like, we need to do a festival. We need to do something and pull everyone together. And then they were like, we can't do this on our own. And that's six weeks later, they grabbed me. Uh, and we put together a festival in eight weeks. I don't know what we were thinking, uh, but we did. And so it was sketch and stand up and improv. And we did it in the small studio where I work. Actually, it has we have three small theater spaces and we did it there over the course of a weekend. Um, and while we were doing it, um, one of the folks from our big like Broadway West End theater um, in town came and saw the show of uh, the shows. And then he was like, um, y'all are too good to be in this tiny place. Let let's get you on our big stages. So sort of they became our partner, which was Oh, an incredible gift uh, from them. And so we sort of started doing monthly shows um, on these big, huge theaters that like we could never afford to be on without their patronage. And then we moved our festival to all of their spaces um, and sort of have this week long, we call it a Queen City Comedy Experience, uh, where we bring in different folks uh, from uh, some big headliners like uh, Fortune Feimster, who filmed her Netflix special here, uh, Rob Schneider, I don't know, a bunch of people that come in and do that. So that's primarily what we did do here in Charlotte. Uh, we were never a school. We never had any intentions of being a school. Um, and then in uh, February of 2020, I was like, I want to teach a class in person through Queen City Comedy. And we're like, sure, let's do it. So I started teaching my improv for actors class. And uh, it was like them the second week of February. And then three weeks later, we were in lockdown. Uh, so that was the only class that we ever taught uh, here in person. And then I was I continued the class online because people had paid for it. And those who didn't want to continue online, we sort of refunded them their money. Uh, and at the same time, I'm teaching my local stuff. And no one in Charlotte was picking up and doing stuff online. So when we got to like May, middle of May, we noticed that none of the theaters in Charlotte were doing anything online. They weren't really embracing that world. And so Kale and myself were like, let's just do some drop-in classes to give our Charlotte folks a place to come. So we scheduled a bunch of drop-ins and he did the first class and he calls me up afterwards and he never calls me. Like we text, we don't even talk on the phone. And he's like, you won't believe what happened. And I was like, what? He's like, there was only like two people from Charlotte uh, and like the other 14 people were from like around the world. I was like, what do you mean around the world? He's like Israel, Germany, England, and India. And he's like naming all these places. And I was like, that's gotta be a fluke. And then my class was the next week. And then the same thing happened. And we're like, all right, something's happening here. And there were incredibly talented people. So we were like, let's do, uh, let's, let's have, let's create an improv team. We'll hold some auditions. Hopefully some people will show up. Uh, 150 people came to our auditions. Wow. <laughs> um, luckily, they registered in advance, so we knew they were coming. Uh, and we ended up with three global teams. Uh, and then we were like, well, I mean, if, if everyone else is coming, let's reach out to people that we like and see who will teach for us. 
Um, and the first person we reached out to was Paul Valencourt, uh, who is sort of like mine and Elizabeth Bylands, um, like was like our improv guru. If you don't know who he is, he has a YouTube channel called PV Improv, where he has over a hundred like five minute improv tips from folks all around the world. Um, and that sort of inspired us too. So his class came and it sold out. So we did another one and it sold out and we did another one and it sold out. I was like, maybe we got something here. And then I just made a list. I made a list of all the people that I wanted to learn from. And we just started reaching out to them um, and bringing them in and offering them a, a Zoom room. Because, you know, a Zoom room is those premium Zoom rooms are not cheap. Yeah. Uh, offering them the support, doing the marketing, all of that stuff for them. Um, and we've just been doing that uh, since September of 2020. And I, we keep saying we're going to keep doing it as long as people keep showing up um, and people keep showing up. So we'll keep on bringing in people. Uh, but I've, I've reached the end of my list. I don't have anyone else on my list. <laughs> so now my goal is like two things. Um, find out who I don't know that we should be having teach improv. So like, you know, see, search those connections and figure that out. And then to give folks an opportunity and a place to teach maybe for the first time uh, as well, um, because there's a lot of great teachers out there or a lot of people aspiring to be great teachers out there that don't have a place or an audience to grab a hold of. So, um, so we've done that through, we have someone here who does character jam twice a week that she's hosting. I have a, a student out of New Zealand who's going to do a, a class this summer for us. And so, uh, yeah, just keep offering something new and different and trying to find a time zone that will work with as much as many people as we can. We, we definitely don't offer things at times that are U.S. friendly. Most of our times are in the middle of the day for the U.S. so that folks in Europe and the U.K. can hit them. And sometimes our folks in Asia can get them. Um, our poor folks on the West Coast in the U.S., they've got to get up early uh, <laughs> to take glasses, but it is what it is. So, so that's sort of how we came about. Um, and sort of what we want to keep doing when we're going, we're back in person doing stuff as well. Um, one of our big spaces that we use was shut down during the pandemic. So sort of trying to, to find um, some additional spaces to use, uh, which is, I think, a, a, something a lot of theaters are looking for, right? They lost spaces or had to give up spaces during the pandemic. Um, and we're sort of in that, that realm as well. Um, so now we're just trying to find different ways and different places that we can bring improv to. Wow. And how much improv do you get to just do compared to how much you're running things? Yeah. So I made a decision early on that I was going to be on a, uh, on one of our online global teams. Uh, and my, my partner was like, um, did you audition? I was like, shut up. I'm going to be on this team. Uh, so since, <laughs> July of 2020, I have been on one of the teams that he coaches, uh, Close Distance, uh, which is where I met Sarah Davies. Um, and so I, on Sundays, I have rehearsal every week and I am just a player. And then I'm on a local team here called Now Are the Foxes that I've been on, just did my 10 year anniversary. Uh, and I'm just a player. Uh, so I do have those options, um, at least where I can just jump in and just be the player, which is nice. It is really nice. And it's, it's like a different piece of my brain. Uh, when I'm responsible for things, I have a very analytical piece of my brain that I use. And then when I'm performing, I don't think I use any of my brain, uh, but I'm assuming it's the creative side. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like I'm, I don't know. I feel like afterwards, I'm like, I know that just happened, but I have no idea what just happened. So it is very hard for me to do both. Um, I would either much rather like host or produce or, or teach uh, or just perform. Uh, when I have to mix the two, uh, it's a little, it's a little of a struggle for me because I don't feel like I can give either of them a hundred percent. So, yeah. but sometimes I have to do it and it's okay. It's my, my, my 90 or 80 or 60%, whatever. It, it has to be enough in those moments. And it's taken me a lot to sort of, just say it's going to be enough. 
See, I'm quite fortunate because I'm with Seki and we approach most things as a duo. So we host uh, Glossop Improv online sessions together and we run Flincher Funnybone sessions in person together. And we also are now sort of promoting shows and, and hosting shows and we're sharing the, the hosting responsibilities. And sometimes it'll be like an even split. And then sometimes it'll be like, oh, I, I just want to play tonight. Will you run things and buy... And we'll just take it in turns or you run the warm-ups, I'll, I'll take care of the rest. So we, we get to sort of bounce off each other, which really helps and it takes the pressure off big time. Yeah, and I, I have my partner, Kale, and we do that uh, for our in-person shows. Like, are you hosting tonight or am I hosting tonight? Uh, are we splitting hosting? Uh, he's sort of like me, though. He'd rather, I think, do just host and not play unless, like, we do a long form. And then he's okay, like, jumping into the long form. But if we're doing, like, some short form, he he has a harder time, like me, sort of jumping back and forth. But, yeah, it is nice. It is nice to not be responsible for it all. Uh, at the studio where I teach, it's just me. So it's all on me uh, when, when I do it. Now, I mean, my some of my adults, are they can host and, and do things. But it still feels like it's all on me, so. So it is nice to just show up and perform. Uh, but at the same time, I, I enjoy um, being like the ringmaster, I guess I'm going to call it that. Because mm -hmm. uh, I feel like improv is like a circus sometimes. Uh, so it is, it, I enjoy that as well. So it's not like, oh, I don't get to perform. I have to do this. It's like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Great. Like, it's it's an okay. It's a thumbs up for me. So. Well, there we go. Uh, that pretty much brings us to the end of this chat, yeah. but it's been it's been amazing. So thank you very much. Yes, and thanks for indulging in my Muppet junkiness. Um, I appreciate it. I loved it. I feel I feel it wasn't enough Muppet. We need more Muppet talk. It's the whole Muppet <laughs> podcast next time. <laughs> all Muppets, all improv. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Ah, it the pleasure's all mine. Well, there we go. Thank you so much to Carla. I really loved that chat. Who knew uh, that we were going to start a conversation about improv and end up talking about Muppets and biscuits, cookies and Welsh cakes. I just love where these chats go. And yeah, it was it was a real joy to have that conversation. And I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. Now, Carla, a fantastic, fantastic person, wonderful improviser, wonderful improv facilitator. And if you want to find out more information about her, then you can go to dingledrama.com or queencitycomedy.com and you'll find everything you need to know about Carla there. Uh, find out more about uh, her journey to improv through the things that she's written about herself and find out where she's performing, where she's teaching, uh, or what other courses she's offering from international teachers. Uh, you know, she's got her fingers in so many pies, and yeah, she's a real inspiration to lots of improvisers out there and improv facilitators like me. And yeah, I really love just having that time to just sit and get to know Carla a bit. It, it, was, it was genuinely very pleasing, and I hope that you enjoyed it too. Now then, if you are interested in getting into improv or are already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the information you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram we are at Live Comedy Improv. This show has a specific Facebook page as well, so just search for the Liverpool Comedy Improv Cast and you'll find all the information you could ever possibly want to know about the show there. If you're a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird. We'll make arrangements as soon as possible. I do have a list of people that have said they're interested in coming on the show that I am working my way uh, through as quickly as I can fitting it into my busy schedule so if you know that you've spoken to me about being on the show and you're like hey he's forgotten about me he's not been in touch yet just know that i haven't forgotten about you and i will get around to you as soon as possible and with that being said we are still looking for guests to come back on and come and talk about the a to z of improv so so far we've had the letter a and the letter b and we've got the letter c to z still to come i loved those episodes that we did with a and b just breaking down words uh, 
with A and B and uh, next up C. I don't know. I might have recorded C by the time this goes out. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so if you've never been on the show and you don't necessarily want to come on and just talk about yourself, then you can come on and do one of the A to Z episodes. Or if you have been on the show before, it's a great way uh, to get yourself back on the show. So yeah, please get in touch with me or with Emma about that. There's some other things as well uh, that uh, I would like to do with the show. One of them is uh, an improv room 101 where you list some things that you don't like about improv and think should be put into room 101 and we'll have a discussion about that. And also book reviews. If you've read a particularly good improv book, then I'd love for you to come on and, you know, give us a bit of a book review. We'll break it all down and just talk about the book and your thoughts and your takeaway from it. That would be great. So if you've got ideas for any of those things, just get in touch with me or with Emma Bird and we will get you on the show as soon as possible. Now, don't forget, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, please give us a five-star review and uh, spread the word because everything like that, little things, just go in, give them five stars, write in a positive review. It's little things like that that really do help to give the show a boost and get our name out there. And I would very much appreciate it if you could do that for us. If you're interested in stalking me on social media in any way, shape or form, then you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. Just search for at Ian Luke Jones and you'll find all sorts of shenanigans that I get up to uh, on my social media life uh, just by searching for at Ian Luke Jones. Wherever I am, you will find me. And that pretty much brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks again to Carla. It was a really, really fun chat. And uh, I, I hope that you, the listener, enjoyed it as much as I did. And before I go, as always, there are some words here that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv. And yes, and...